0: Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. If you're watching online, welcome as well. Every week in this series, we've been doing a couple of things. One, we've been lighting a candle that represents different things. And so we lit the candle of hope in the first week of Advent. Second week of Advent, we lit the candle of peace. Last week, we lit the candle of joy. And today, we're lighting the candle of Love. And so all four of those things represent what Jesus brought us in coming to earth and what Jesus will bring to fulfillment when he returns. And so we're lighting that candle of love today. It's not lit yet. There's not enough love yet, okay? Okay. There we go. And also, one of the other things that we've been doing is reciting together the Nicene Creed. If you would, stand with me. And in the back of your seat, you'll have this little sheet of paper. It'll also be on the screen. I would encourage you, you might have some questions of like, what are we doing? Why have we been doing this? What do some of these things mean? You are going to find tomorrow, probably in the afternoon, a podcast with me and uh, who I'm calling our now resident theologian, Josh Hagens, talking about the Nicene Creed tomorrow. It's in our After Sunday podcast. If you're interested in that, check it out and we talk more about this. But let's recite this together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, Before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. As you sit down, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, raise your hand and our Connect team would love to give you a copy that you can take with you. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading in verses 15 through 23. And what we've been talking about in this series, Home for Christmas, is this reality that every single one of us, whether we know it or not, we are searching. We've been looking for a way back home. Now we find many different creative avenues and paths that we think might get us back to home, which is ultimately our relationship with God, our Creator. But what Scripture tells us is that the only true answer, the only true path, the only true way back home is through the person of Jesus Christ. Which is why in this series, we've been looking at, for each of these weeks during the season of Advent, a humble servant that Jesus put on flesh, that he became what? Fully human. And at the same time, we've been looking at this divine king. That even though he is fully human, exactly like us in every conceivable way, he is also fully God. Which means... He's unlike us in every conceivable way. Wrap your mind around that this Christmas season, right? That's what we've been looking at. And today we're wrapping up this idea of humble servant, divine king by looking at Jesus as king. And I'm just telling you, as I've reflected this week if there's anything that you and I need to be reminded of in our life and in our day and age and in this moment right now, it's that Jesus is king, he's Lord, and that he's ruling and reigning over all of creation, over all of the world, and over all of our lives. Amen? So that's what we're looking at. And that's what we're thinking about today. And as I thought about Jesus as king, I thought about the royal family. Now I know some of you, are madly, deeply in love with the royal family, right? I had to go on Wikipedia, which is a very trusted resource, and look at all of the information about the royal family. Did you know the royal family technically doesn't have a last name? Did you know this? I didn't know this, you know. So I'm looking these things up, and and you know, you go down this rabbit hole, right? Because all I wanted to know was what the firstborn son of Prince William and Kate is, and then I started going the, down this rabbit hole of the fact that they actually don't have a last name, and all of these sorts of things. But I I started to think about this: who who's the firstborn son of William and Kate? Does anybody know his name? It's George. Yeah, it's it's King George. Also. A very classic country singer, King George, right? George Strait, nobody knows that, I guess. Okay. That's my king, King George Strait. (laughs) Kidding. So, King George, or Prince George, actually, he's not a king. Here's the incredible fact to me, okay? I mean, just think about this. George is born to Prince William and to Kate, and the moment he is born, the, the moment before he breathes his first breath out of the womb, he is third in line to the throne of Great Britain. Is that not incredible? And, and he's living and breathing and he's crying and he's figuring out what in the world is all of this, what are all of these lights, and he's born with this power and this authority. Is that, that's incredible to me and then I started to think about Jesus born into absolute obscurity. We've already talked about, right, that he was born and he was born in a barn and he was placed in a feeding trough because they didn't have a crib or a a, a cradle for him and he's placed in there. Very few people, the shepherds, maybe a handful of other people, know that he's born, but lying in that manger, in that barn, under those stars, with animals all around and ugly, dirty shepherds coming to visit, right there, in that place is the king of the Jews and more importantly the king of the universe man wrap your minds around that and while in that moment he doesn't look like the king he is the king ruling and reigning over all of creation over all of our world and over all of our lives That's the Jesus that we celebrate this week, and that's the Jesus that we look forward to coming again. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I want to read verses 15 through 19 just to put everything into context for you. But what we're going to be focused on today is verses 20 through 23. That's where I want to lean in and look at how Jesus is king. So let's start in verse... 15. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. Paul's writing a letter to this church at Ephesus in Asia Minor and he says this, for this reason, because I I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's where he really picks up this God language. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. By the way, that's what we've been doing in this series. That God, our Father, would give us knowledge and wisdom and revelation of who Jesus, in fact, is. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward who? Everybody say it. Us. No, I lost my place. There we go. To us who believe according to the working of his great might, the Father's great might. Verse 20. The very might that He's working in us. The power that He's working within us. Look at verse 20. That He worked in who? Everybody say it. Christ, when He did what? Raised Him from the dead. And seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, not in only the world that we're living in, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, and he put all things, not some things, not a few things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know the incredible thing about this passage to me is this is in the introduction to Paul's letter. (laughs) This isn't even the body of his work. This is him just like, just saying, hey, I'm so thankful for you, church. And by the way, this is why I'm thankful. All of this incredible language. So Christ is king because, if you're taking notes, write this down. Christ is king because, number one, he's king because of his life. Now, when I say life, I mean something more than what you and I are living right now. What I mean is he's king because of his resurrected life. Look at verse 20, the beginning of verse 20. Again, it's talking about the power of God, the power of God the Father that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, I had to really wrap my mind around this, think about that this week. I don't know if you've realized this, but in these last four weeks as we've talked about Jesus, we've also been talking about the Trinity, because you can't talk about Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, without talking about the Father and also talking about the Spirit. And at the same time, you can't talk about the person of Jesus without talking about his full humanity and at the same time his full deity. And so I'm trying to wrap my minds around, around this. And yes, I have a Ph.D. Yes, I, t- I teach and I think and I read theology, but sometimes I have to ask for help. So again, I reached out to our resident theologian, Josh Hagens who is, in my mind, way more knowledgeable on the Trinity than I am. And I said, help me wrap my mind around what's happening in this passage. Because Jesus is fully God, which means what? He always has the life. There's never been a moment in His existence, which, by the way, has been from eternity, that Jesus hasn't had life in Him. And so I said, Josh, help me understand how do I explain this to us? And he said this to me, and I think it's so powerful. He said, it's a revelation of glory, not a promotion of glory. And what he meant by that, and I think that was original to you, right? You didn't rip off a theologian or a church. Okay, good. It's a revelation of glory, not a promotion of glory. What he meant by that is in the resurrection of Jesus, God did not give Jesus life. But what he did in the resurrection is he simply revealed that Jesus has from the very beginning, from all eternity, had life. And the resurrection reveals to us that Jesus has this life. It displays God's life-giving power. Again, think back to the royals. and think back to the royal line. One of the reason that in royalty, they emphasize having an heir is because an heir means their role. What? It continues. It never dies. And so this reality of having an heir and having a rule that never dies is that their hope is that that rule would never die and that there would be someone on the throne forever. In the same way, Jesus is that life. That There is a hope that there is life forever, for eternity, for all of time. And here's the incredible truth that I think Paul is partially getting at in this passage for you and I is that the life Jesus has, he gives to us. I don't know what you're dealing with this Advent and Christmas season where you're like, you know, I just, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm depressed. The life that resurrected Jesus from the dead, if you know Jesus, is in you. You have that life. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of those very significant passages in scripture because here Paul is laying out all the reality and all the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. There were people at Corinth that were saying, well, hey, maybe Jesus didn't rise from the grave. And Paul says, let me remind you what I told you, that he did, that he rose from the grave according to the scriptures, and that because he rose, you and I, we have hope. And look at what he says in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits, everybody say, firstfruits. The firstfruits of whom? Of those who have fallen asleep, or what he means is those who have died, for as by man, that is, Adam, our earthly father, came death, by a man has come also, that is, Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then look at what he says next. Then, this is getting at Jesus as king, at his coming, Those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. Look at the hope that Paul gives us. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. Why? Because he's over all of those powers. He's over all of those authorities. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, the reason that Jesus is life and we have life in us is because he is the first fruits. He is the resurrection, the power of life, the power of God that raised him from the dead is the power that God gives within us. It's not our power. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you have power. You don't. God has given you power in the resurrection of Jesus. You have the life of Christ in you. And because you have that life, you have a hope that there will come a day, then yes, we're dealing with death, we're dealing with disease, we're dealing with pain, we're dealing with suffering, we're dealing with challenges, but a day will come When Jesus returns, not as that humble servant, but as that divine king, and he raises all of us up who know him and who have followed him, and he gives us that resurrection life that we experience for all of eternity. By by the way, that's the hope we have in Christmas. Christmas. This is the power of the Gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus is God and that He came to earth and He put on flesh. He lived a humble servant's life. He was crucified for our sins, rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And if we would respond to that Gospel by repenting, turning away from our sins, recognizing there is something that separates us from God... Don't forget that that Jesus came to earth for a reason. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus came to earth to do what? Die. Why did he die? He had to die to reconcile us to God because there was something separating us from our creator. He came to earth and he died and he rose that we might be reconciled, that we might be forgiven, that we might be made right, that we might be in relationship with God, our Creator. Therefore, we have to turn away from something and then we have to turn to the cross and the resurrection and say what Jesus did, He did on my behalf and I'm taking that, it's mine, I believe in it. And then we publicly confess that because you can't keep your faith hidden. We go under the water being buried with Jesus. We come up out of the water being raised to life. That is this message and that is the hope of the gospel and that is the fact that Jesus has life in him. His resurrection proves Jesus' life will never end. And that's why for you and I, there's hope for us in this moment. Because even though you and I, every single one of us, outside of the reality of Jesus coming back in our time, we will experience physical death. But if we know Jesus, we will not experience spiritual death, and we will experience resurrection life. And that's why we can have hope right now. That's why we can have peace right now. That's why we can have joy right now. That's why we can have love right now but as king Christ is not only life Christ is be king because number 2 of his honor look at the end of verse 20 so it talks about Paul talks about this reality that Jesus or that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and then he says this he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places now in the ancient world The right hand of God was a significant place. It was a place of honor, and it was a place of power. And so what Paul is getting at here is that Christ is exalted to his rightful place of honor. Again, go back to what Josh told me. It's a revelation of glory, not a promotion of glory. What's happening here is God is simply revealing to us that this is a place of honor that Jesus has always had as the second person of the Godhead, as someone who is fully God. But now in this moment, because he's resurrected, he's also exalted. And we see this by faith that Christ is the exalted one, that he is seated at this place of honor. Now, my encouragement to you is to think about this in light of everything that we've talked about, about his humility in his birth, that he came And that he was willing to humble himself to put on flesh. That he came and he was willing to be in poverty. That he came and he was willing to experience everything that you and I experienced. That he came and he was willing to be ridiculed. That he came and that he was willing to die on our behalf. Because when you think about his honor in light of his humility, it changes everything that you understand about his honor. And it changes how you view His honor. So He's exalted to the rightful place of honor. He sits down first because His work is accomplished. The reason He sits down, I don't know about you, but you have a a hard day's work, right? And you come home, and you sit down. And you're like, golly, thank God that day's over, right? Now, here's the... The difference between us and Jesus. Jesus didn't sit down like, good night, those 33 years about killed me. Alright? He did die. Jesus sat down because he knew that everything that he had come to earth to do had been accomplished and fulfilled. That He rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. That he, rose, uh, that he rose from the grave and He died on the cross. He sits down because His work is accomplished. But at the same time, He sits down at the right hand of God because He is due the honor and privilege. Coming out of humility, coming out of death, He is due the honor and privilege of sitting at the right hand of the Father. I thought about it like this. It's like a a prisoner who for years has been in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And somewhere along the way, after decades of being in prison, he's exonerated and freed. The prisoner is given what he deserves, freedom. From the very beginning that he was imprisoned, he was innocent but there comes a time in his life when he's exonerated and he's given what he deserves. In the same way, from the moment that Jesus was born in that manger, before that, he deserved the honor and the glory of sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he was finally given it after his death and after his resurrection. His exaltation proves that his rule, that Jesus' rule, will never end. he's seated. There's no more work to be done. And therefore he will rule and reign as king forevermore. He will never return as that humble servant. He will return and be for all eternity that divine king. So as king though, Christ is not just honored. Christ is king also. Number three, because of his authority. Verses 21 through 22. Paul writes this, "That he's been seated at the right hand of God, how far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that it's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. That is, the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. This is an incredible reality. That Christ is King because He has the authority of a King. Again, this is not about a uh, a promotion of glory. It's a revelation of glory. There's never been a moment in all of eternity, even as Jesus is laying in that manger, He has the authority of God. But it's from His exaltation, from His resurrection that we see this revealed authority and Christ's authority it extends beyond humans to the spiritual and the supernatural when you read commentators talking about what Paul is saying here when he says rule authority power and dominion he's not talking about the president of the United States although that's true He's not talking about the British monarchy, although that's true. What Paul is getting at is Jesus has authority over every spiritual and supernatural being that you and I can't see. Yes, the angels, those who are for God and fighting with God, but also the demonic that are fighting against God and against us. So all of the the evil and the painful things that we're experiencing that are because of Satan's work in our world, in our lives, Paul is reminding us that Jesus has authority over all of that rule and over all of that authority, all of that power, and all of that dominion. It's this reality of living in this now and not yet, which is is so painful and so terrible. I mean, the word for it is it sucks. Right? That's the word. Because there's this reality that when we've been talking about hope and and peace and joy and love, we know if you're in Christ, you know this stuff is real. You know you have it. You're like, I know that I've got hope. I know that I've got peace. I know that I've got joy. I know that I've got love. But in this moment right now, man, it's hard to feel It's hard to experience, and if we can't feel it, sometimes we think it's not real. This is the now, but we get a a taste of it. And we, because we get a taste of it, we know that there's something about it. We know it's real. We can't quite put our finger on it, but we know it's real. And the now and the not yet is being reminded is that because Jesus has all authority, because he's king, there will be a moment when we will know that we know that we know that we have hope, peace, joy, and love. Because we're experiencing it in the fullest, It's overflowing from us. There's going to be a moment in eternity when you have all the hope you need. Why? Because you see Jesus face to face. There's going to be a moment in history in eternity when you know you have all of the peace you need. Why? Because you see Jesus face to face. There's going to be a moment in all of eternity when you know you have all the joy that you need. Why? Because you're going to see Jesus face to face, There's going to be a moment in eternity when you know that you have all the love that you need. Why? Because you see Jesus face to face. And all of that is true. Every ounce of that is true. Because Jesus has the authority. I don't know about you. You ever gone to a store before, or a restaurant, and you've received the worst of worst service? And you're like, I'd like to speak to your manager, please. And they're like, I am the manager? And in that moment, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? This happened at AutoZone one time. I replaced the part, and that part failed, and they were like, sorry, the part that you replaced isn't under warranty anymore, it was just the original part. I'm like, all your parts are failing. You're not going to cover any of this? And I'm like, can I speak to your manager? I am the manager. And it was almost like, I am the manager, right? (laughs) I am the manager. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? And in that moment, some of us, at that point, I'm just like, you know what? Give me the most expensive part you have and I'll pay for that because maybe that part will last, right? Some of us are like, okay, give me your supervisor. Give me your district manager. Give me your president, Right? Here's the reality about Jesus' authority. He is the ultimate authority. There's no one trying to trump Jesus where it's like, well, if Jesus, I, I, you, you're not doing it for me. I'm going above you. Jesus like, no, no, no. I am the ultimate authority. And the incredible truth for you and I as followers of Jesus means that we have direct access to the King of the universe. The King of the universe. You don't have to come to me And tell me something and you don't like my words and say let me speak to your supervisor which you like I want to talk to Jesus you have Jesus and the reason you have Jesus is because he is king because of his authority his authority proves Jesus rule extends over all created things everything this morning I, I got, I, for whatever reason, I can't sleep anymore. So I wake up, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.45 in the morning. So I got up this morning at 4.45 and I had some things to do. And so I'm like, I'm going to write tomorrow's Christmas devotional because I'm a little bit behind, you know. I ask the writers that are writing for me to send their stuff a week in advance. I write mine a day in advance, you know. So I'm getting up and I'm writing this devotional and I'm writing about this passage. And one of the things, I'll be honest with you, that I've been reflecting on is uh, Hurricane Ida threw me for a loop, like just kind of like spun me out of control. And I'm like, "What, what in the world is happening? And I started reflecting on that and this reality that Jesus is King. And I don't know about you, but when I was evacuated on Sunday, I spent 12 hours on my computer in front of WDSU. I don't know if anybody else did that. You you don't have to raise your hand. That's what I did. So you can experience the lack of faith that your pastor had. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching WDSU, and I'm literally watching minute by minute as this hurricane goes by. And the whole reason that I'm watching it is because I'm angry at God that I can't myself, in my own power, in my own reliance, shift the track of the hurricane. Because in life, I'm a pretty self-reliant human being. I'm a pretty self-sufficient person. I can do a lot of things on my own. And as I reflected on this reality, this is, this is a, a, a truth that you need to understand, that you need to realize, and you need to apply in your own life. When there are moments in life when you have no control, Jesus is king. He has authority. And you can wrestle with that reality, well, if Jesus is king, why didn't he move a hurricane? Listen, I don't know. But here's what I do know is that Jesus puts us through things sometimes or he allows certain things to happen sometimes that we don't like for our good. And I'm not going to presume to know all of the reasons why Jesus did X or Jesus did Y, but here's what I know about God, here's what I know about Jesus, here's what I know about the Holy Spirit. He is good, he is loving, he is all-powerful, and he has my best and your best in mind. And so in the moment when your faith is lacking, remind yourself that Jesus is king because he has authority. His authority proves that Jesus' rule extends over all created things. But ultimately, Christ is king because of his glory. Verse 23. He's talking, Paul's talking about how God put all things under his feet and gave Jesus' head over all things to the church, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Now, you might miss, I think, what Paul is doing here if you're not keeping the Old Testament in mind. Pastor Weaver talked about this last week in John 1 1, right? In John 1, verses 1 through 18. No one has ever seen God, the glory of God, but God, Jesus, came to earth as the Word, put on flesh. Part of what Paul is getting at here is that Jesus, we are His body. The church is His body. It's the fullness of Him, it's the glory of Him who fills all in all. Again, this isn't a glory that was given to him it's a glory that is revealed of him look at first our uh, second Chronicles chapter 7 verses 1 through 3 the temple under Solomon the son of King David is finished they've dedicated the temple and listen to the language that is shared in this passage about the glory of God and about the temple as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the what? Everybody say it. The glory of the Lord did what? Filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the what of the Lord did what? Filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the what? What? Glory of the Lord on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. See, 2 Chronicles gives us a picture of God's glory filling the temple. Go back to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Jesus is the glory of God, manifested, revealed to us. And so part of what Paul is getting at is that if Jesus has the glory of God, who is He? He's God. And God sitting and dwelling in His temple, He was on his what? He was on his throne. Why? Because God is king. And the idea of glory in the Old Testament, it's this interesting Hebrew word, kabod. Everybody say kabod. And the idea behind this word is that it's about weight or heaviness. Now when I think about weight or heaviness, I think about like solemn, and, or solemn ceremonies. You ever been to Washington, D.C., and to the tomb of the unknown soldier? I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's this powerful moment when there's complete silence. And these guards, especially when the guards like, ex- I can't remember what they go, the changing of the guard. It's common sense, right? It's called the changing of the guard because the guards are changing. So the guards are changing and it's serious. They're not like, you know, tag teaming, like, tag, you're it. I mean, there is a ceremony involved. Because they're guarding this tomb of individuals who have died in wars that no one knows. And those individuals represent probably hundreds if not thousands of people who are MIA. It's a solemn ceremony. You feel the weight of the ceremony. In the same way, part of this idea of glory is that it's weighty, it's heavy. You feel the weight. You know that when you're in the presence of God, you feel the weight of his glory. Now, I know we don't feel that all of the time, but I bet if you're a follower of Jesus, there have been moments when you feel the weight of God's glory. And what Paul is reminding us is that it's here in this moment, just as the Lord's glory filled the temple, now Christ's glory fills all of creation because Christ is God. He is King because He has the glory of the Father. His glory proves Jesus' divinity from eternity. So Christ is king because of the life, honor, authority, and glory given to him. He is king because of the life, honor, authority, and glory given to him. A story that I often think about when I think about Jesus as king, which might sound weird, but just follow me, is the story of Robin Hood. Everybody familiar with Robin Hood? Right, Robin Hood is this guy that goes around and he's uh, stealing from the rich to give back to the poor. And, and part of the story of Robin Hood is this reality that King Richard, who is the king of England, is away. He's fighting in the Crusades. And so because the king is away, there are these other individuals who kind of rise up and without telling King Richard, kind of usurp his authority. There's Prince John, and then there's the sheriff of Nottingham. And even though they're not king, they're running around England acting like they're king. Because the king is away. In the story of Robin Hood, King Richard comes back. Because he's king. And all of a sudden when the king comes back, who's in charge? The king. Prince John, not in charge. The Sheriff of Nottingham, not in charge. And right now you might feel like the king is away. And he is. You might feel like the king is never returning. But he is. Just as King Richard returned, even though he was absent, he is still king. And remember that while Jesus is absent from earth, he is still king. And one day, he's returning. The season of Advent is not about Christmas. The season of Advent is about his return. The hope of Christmas is that Jesus will return. That he comes again. And every single thing that you and I wrestle with, every single thing that you and I struggle with, the pain and the hurt and the anger and the frustration and the challenge and the difficulty, it's wiped away. Because our King. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The story of Christmas reminds us that when Jesus came and he put on flesh and he was born as a baby and he was born in that stable, in that manger, yes, he brought hope and he brought peace and he brought joy and he brought love, but all of this is a foretaste of what's to come. I want you all to stand with me. As I read Revelation 21 this week, I went a little farther down and I looked at Revelation 22.20 and I read these words that he who testifies to these things says surely I'm coming soon that's Jesus and then John wrote amen come Lord Jesus. I want you to extend your hands out however you feel comfortable. Maybe like this. Some of you, you're just not ready to put them all the way up yet. That's okay. Maybe you are. I want you to put your hands up. And together, I want us to profess, come Lord Jesus. Say it together. Come Lord Jesus. Jesus, again, come, Lord Jesus, again, come, Lord Jesus, Jesus, may you come, we desperately need you, Father, we thank you that you are our God. Jesus, we thank you that you are our King, the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are in us and present with us. Jesus, may those be the words that are on our lips this week. Come, Lord Jesus. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.